When the Trump administration's Remain in Mexico policy separated a single mother from her family, an army veteran decided she had to help. After services at St. William's Catholic Church last December in Louisville, Kentucky, someone asked if anyone is willing to help a migrant who is seeking asylum. Vanette Monteith said yes, and is now trying to reunite Kayla with her daughter, even going so far as joining her during her legal fights in San Diego. Also, the children of migrants who got investment-related visas are aging out of them, and now they may have to leave the U.S. Now they're calling on Congress to create a path to citizenship. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is Border Dispatch, a special episode of your San Diego News Fix. Gustavo Solis, you're a member of the border team at the Union-Tribune, and recently you had a story about how this woman from Kentucky got personally invested in an ongoing immigration case. Why don't you explain how this all started? Right. It, it's a very weird San Diego immigration court story that I don't think you'd find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how I stumbled upon it, I just went to immigration court one day. Uh, Kate Morrissey, the other immigration reporter, and I go to court fairly often to mm-hmm. see what's going on over there. And it, there was this very strange scene where um, a migrant from... Central America, who uh-huh. has been in Mexico for a long time, went before the judge, and this woman approached the bench, which usually means that's the lawyer that's representing him. Mm-hmm. So the lawyer, the immigration judge, asked, "Are you this woman's lawyer?" And she just said, "No." And it turned out this woman had flown from San Diego um, to—I'm sorry—to San Diego all the way from Louisville, Kentucky, and she just wanted to be there to support this. Central American migrant that, you know, they weren't family, they weren't lawyers. She was just there to help any way she could. And she got the judge to call a immigration lawyer in Louisville and have that lawyer represent this client. So how did she meet the migrant in the first place? It seems like, a, you know, it's one thing to help a stranger, another thing to show up to their court date, you know? Yeah, well, if you, if you ask this woman, uh, Vonette, she'll just tell you that she has a hard time saying no. Mm-hmm. And... That's how it started. You know, her, um, she'd never been involved in, in too many immigration issues before. But it, it, for her, it started last year around the holidays. Mm-hmm. She was in church, and she belongs to a Catholic church in Louisville that's known to take up a lot of uh, causes, social causes. Mm-hmm. And at the end of a service, a woman went up to the front of the church and said, Hey, we need help. We need uh, somebody to sponsor migrants to sponsor asylum seekers so they can stay in the United States while they wait for their cases to mm-hmm. be heard. And this woman said, sure, I'll help. One of the families that she sponsored was the, or is the family of this woman uh-huh. who's now in Mexico and doing immigration court in San Diego. So this woman in Louisville took in half the family, realized there was another person, a daughter, still separated from them Mm -hmm. and decided to take it upon herself to do everything in her power to do something about it. So besides offering lodging and helping out with the legal ins and outs, what else can she do to help these people? Because ultimately it's up to the court, right? It is up to the court. um, But what she's done already is a tremendous amount of help. I mean, with the legal services alone. It's very hard for asylum seekers in Mexico right now to get access to attorneys just Mm -hmm. because there's so many of them, there are so few attorneys, logistical hurdles that attorneys have to 
go through in terms of physically going to another country to do hearings and conduct interviews and build a case. Um, so the fact that this woman somehow convinced a lawyer in Louisville who had never taken one of these uh, MPP asylum cases, mm-hmm. w- it was massive. Yeah, so it was just kind of luck. I mean, it's it's still ongoing, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's lucky to have someone help you when you're in this kind of situation, which not many people get asylum currently. Right, definitely. And the odds of getting asylum if you don't have legal representation just go way, way down. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, this, this woman, Vonette, she doesn't speak Spanish. Well, now she does a little bit, but she would fly from Louisville to Mexicali, which is where this uh, asylum seeker is, and they mm-hmm. would talk almost exclusively through Google Translate. Wow. So type something in English, translate it, show it, and back and forth and have a whole conversation that way. It's, mm-hmm. it's very uh, interesting to see. It's very 2019 in a way. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So it does seem like this asylum case is kind of a really good example of what's going on with the migrant protection protocols or the Remain in Mexico program. Can you give us a kind of a quick explanation of what that policy is? The policy started in January of this year, and it required asylum seekers who are, yeah, basically asylum seekers who present themselves legally at the border to wait for their immigration court case in Mexico, whereas before they would come into the U.S. and either be um, bonded out to a family willing to sponsor, like mm-hmm. like uh, this woman did before, or they would stay in a detention center. Now all of those people stay in Mexico for months and months and months until their case is resolved. Either they're granted asylum or they're deported back to their home country. Mm-hmm. And this is just part of one of many policies meant to dissuade people from coming to the U.S., right? Right. The main objective of the policy is deterrence, uh, which it seems to be working, right? The the Trump administration doesn't want... Uh, he claims there are loopholes in the asylum process, that people mm-hmm. will request asylum, be allowed into the United States, and then not show up for their court date. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's specifically through this policy trying to target illegitimate asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Um, however, caught in the crossfire are legitimate asylum seekers who now have to wait for months in um, in a dangerous country. Mm-hmm. And it's worth noting that most asylum seekers are literally fearing for their lives. So, Well, yeah, by definition, mm-hmm. right? That's yep. what they're running for, uh, uh, running from, rather. Those coming from Central America commonly say that the... Uh, gangs are after them, uh, mm-hmm. MS3, MS-13 or the 18th Street Gang. Certainly. So um, as this is a immigration story that's ongoing, what's next for this family? What's, how did, where do things stand? So at the court hearing that I went to, the immigration lawyer from Louisville was trying to ask the judge to move the case from San Diego to Louisville. Mm-hmm. Her plan was to... Uh, unite the cases, right? Because her mother is also seeking asylum, so it mm-hmm. makes sense to consolidate both cases. It would also strengthen the cases because the daughter who's here in San Diego is a witness for the mother's case in Kentucky and vice versa. Uh-huh. So it, it would just make everything uh, a little bit more smooth from from their standpoint. However, the judge denied that motion to move the case, not because of the strength of the argument, but because of the 
poor timing with Louisville's immigration court. It's currently closed uh-huh. because of uh, issues with the elevator. All right. So, so a busted elevator closed down the entire immigration court, and because of that, the San Diego judge said, nope, sorry, you got to stay in this court. So uh, at this point, these two cases remain separated, right? Right. The two cases remain separated. That family remains separated. The next hearing, I believe, is sometime in November, mm-hmm. um, and it, it may be the one that determines whether or not asylum is granted or not. Yeah, this whole story is uh, somewhat strange in which just, uh, you know, happenstance creates different outcomes. Yeah, definitely. And and you see not specifically these types of stories, but a lot of issues coming up with, with this program, MPP, Migrant Protection Protocols. Uh, lawyers have to get creative. Uh, asylum seekers have to get creative. And it's so new and it's so different than how this country has managed asylum for so many years that it creates all these uh, interesting situations. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was interesting and refreshing to see somebody who's not directly impacted by immigration one way or another, but just have such a big heart to, to do this. I mean, Vonette has flown and driven from Louisville to Mexicali, Louisville to San Diego at her own expense, has not asked for anything. She's taken a family in her own home, not asking for anything in return. Um, and immigration laws don't impact her in any way. She's a U.S. citizen. She's Her status mm-hmm. is fine. But I just thought it was interesting, you know? Yeah, and, like, in covering immigration, there's a lot of sad stories. I imagine it's nice to see one that's more positive. Yeah, relatively speaking, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a chance this asylum seeker isn't granted Fair. asylum. But it, it, it's just very nice to see people watching out for one another. Mm-hmm. All right. Gustavo Solis, thank you so much. Thank you. Hafsa Fatima, you're a member of the border team at the Union Tribune, and recently you wrote a story about E-2 visas. What are these visas? Uh, So the E-2 is basically a foreign investor visa for certain countries like Canada and Mexico for foreign nationals to come here and invest in businesses. There's no minimum investment required, but you are supposed to invest a substantial amount. Um, So you come in as an investor and you can bring your spouse who's allowed to work and your child who is not allowed to work. Um, You can renew the visa indefinitely, but there is no path to citizenship and children actually age out of the visa at 21, mm-hmm. so they lose their status. And what's the universe of people that currently have these visas and their families? There's about 200,000 uh, visas that have been issued since 2014. Um, USAIS doesn't really distinguish between the primary investor and their dependents, so we really don't know how many dependents there are versus investors. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them you know, own small businesses, they, they're entrepreneurs, they're, they run their own companies, um, and a lot of their kids have pretty much grown up here their entire lives. They've been here for like a decade or so. And why is it that there isn't a path for citizenship with this visa? Um, Well, the E-2 visa does not have what we call dual intent, which basically means that if you're on a temporary visa, you can still file or your employer can file for a green card. Mm -hmm. And these options exist with the H-1B and the O-1, but unfortunately for the E-2, there really is no option. Uh, It's supposed to be a temporary visa for a temporary stay, but a lot of these 
investors end up falling in love with life here in the U.S. and they want to stay because their kids um, benefit greatly from it. Mm -hmm. Um, They go to school here. They have friends here. They have lives here. And so the urge to stay on really is for the children, from what I've heard, more than for themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does seem like overall immigration law is becoming much more strict under the Trump administration. But at the same time, he has said he wants, you know, immigrants that are great, people who are talented. Has he shown anything or is there any policies that kind of support that in which they're investing in so-called better immigrants? Well, I know that some E-2 visa holders who are dependents are actually advocating that Congress create bipartisan laws or policies that will include them in the DREAM Act Mm -hmm. because that will be kind of um, a solution for everyone. Uh, They also think of themselves as legal dreamers, which a lot of congressmen have agreed with. Uh, John Rutherford, uh, who is a Republican from Florida, has reintroduced a bill into the House that would hopefully allow certain E-2 visa holders to to gain paths to citizenship. But uh, the young man that I interviewed for the piece, his name is Deep Patel, he advocates that all kids should be included. This is not the, this is actually not the only visa where kids face uh, the threat of aging out before they're, when they turn 21. Mm -hmm. If you're on an L1 visa or an H4 visa, you face a similar, a similar predicament. So what they're really asking for is that they also be included in the DREAM Act and they're kind of trying to get that push through Congress because they say that they're in the same situation. The only difference is that, you know, they're here quote unquote legally, um, but they have to leave the U.S. And while options do exist, I mean, you can get what they say is that you can get a student visa or you can get an H-1B. Mm-hmm. These are all temporary options and they're not guaranteed. And so how long do they did they continue exploring temporary options versus a permanent solution to a place they call home? So is it safe to say that this is one of the issues that may have more bipartisan support than other immigration issues? Uh, historically, it actually hasn't. Um, House Democrats actually voted against an amendment uh, to the DREAM Act that was introduced by Colin Peterson in June. House Democrats voted uh, against it, though Republicans voted in favor of it. So mm-hmm. there really is no clear answer. It's also a very small issue. It's a very niche issue yeah. in the larger immigration context. A lot of importance hasn't been given to it. Um, and that's why these kids are trying to create awareness about it, because I think the reason no one's addressing it is because people don't really know. It's only 200,000 visas issued since 2014 versus, you know, the millions of, of immigrants that we have here from very diverse countries. And yeah, and, and there are dozens of different types of visas, For sure, right? yeah. The, mo- the most important thing is that these kids are not saying that, you know, dreamers shouldn't be coming here or undocumented people don't deserve rights. I think they're just saying that their rights also have to be considered as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when I spoke to Deep Patel, he said that I don't want anyone's rights being taken away. I just want mine to be added on. And I think that's what they're fighting for. All right. Hasma Fatima. Thank you so much. In other immigration news, the Supreme Court of the United States is taking up the case that would determine the fate of the DACA program. Deferred action for childhood arrivals is an Obama-era policy that allows unauthorized immigrants brought into the U.S. as children to stay in the country if they passed a background check and get a work permit. The Trump administration sought to end the program in September of 2017, so the justices will decide if the termination was constitutional or not. Of the roughly 700,000 Dreamers, about 200,000 live in California. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. On weekday mornings, you can also hear a quick rundown of local weather and headlines. Just tell your smart speaker to launch the San Diego Union Tribune. You can also get the Flash Briefing as a podcast. For a full listing of our audio offerings, go to uniontrib.com slash podcasts. Until next time.